a pox of a beer or a cold libation, let me tell you how I wrote this little thing. I went and took a call from brother Jason, and he tells me that he has a little dream. He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast, and I ask him what you got. He said I'll start off with some talking and some movie clips and popcorn fighting, fantasy explorations and some groundless exploitation, kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxings, full month horror movie marathon. Sometimes I'll let the box come on, contest and the push, you know it's all about games. I said slow down, let's just start with the name. It's the Nerds RPG Variety. Jason. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Jason. And today, for a special holiday episode, I'm joined by Runeslinger himself. I have Anthony from Casting Shadows with me. Casting Shadows Media Empire, I should say. How are you doing today, <laughs> Anthony? Pretty good. And I guess I should say, ho, 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 Merry Christmas to all. Yes, this is coming out December 25th. And I hope everybody enjoys this. I, Anthony's played in a lot of different espionage games. He's interested in the genre, and I figured we could have a pretty neat conversation about it. In yeah. fact, not not to you know put the cart don't don't mind that, folks. We we both have dogs around us, so you may hear dog sounds in the background. But if you listen to my show, you're used to that. The coughing slash sneezing sound you're kind of hearing in the background, and you'll hear throughout the show, is Anthony's newest dog that he's holding in his arms, and it's just a little under the weather, so. You know, don't let it concern you. Not to put the games ahead of movies, but you're currently playing a spy in a game. Is that right? That's right. right. Yeah. In uh, a Ubiquity game, everyone knows, I guess, that I, I like that system a lot. So in, in Leagues of Adventure, there's an expansion called Leagues of Gothic Horror. And I'm currently playing a kind of a, a former not exactly former spy in the ministry of unusual affairs uh the game uh, sets up an opportunity for you to uh to play it through this organization this governmental organization uh, which is largely concerned with national security you know they don't want um magicians to uh, to threaten the the queen's peace and they uh, they're worried about um, you know demonic invasions or or you know whatnot. And so the Ministry of Unusual Affairs uh, is a shadowy organization. So they sound like a bunch of agents, but more like um, something along the lines of a Mission Impossible group. You know, they're um, specialists for for different things. But uh, but I'm currently playing a character who um, is more interested in being a spy for the government, you know, a, a, a collector of secrets. But, but this is the only position he's currently able to occupy. And so I, I got into the position by using uh, blackmail and deceit and, uh, and aliases and then retain the position uh, that way. So it's, it's kind of a, a curious situation where the other players, you know, don't know his real name or, uh, or what his, his motivations might, might really be, except everybody knows that he's, he's loyal, you know, loyal to the crown. This may be not loyal to all the people sitting in the house of Lords, <laughs> the like. 
but uh, the game approaches espionage in a really refreshing way and puts the focus on espionage rather than high action or martial arts or having every skill or, or stuff like that. It's uh, it provides them with the ability to obtain information um, and, and nothing else. So they've got, you know, secret identities. It's quite easy for, for someone with a spy background to create aliases and maintain them and uh, develop speed reading ability and, and memory and the ability to kind of be unnoticed in plain sight. Um, but nothing else, you know, so when they're discovered, they're, you know, they're, <laughs> they're heading for the hangman's noose. And uh, so in the uh, in the campaign, it ends up that this character um, kind of goes on point to to figure out the lay of the land first is always in disguise um, as one character's secretary or as someone else's servant or, you know, he's never himself uh, dealing with, uh, with situations head on that way. And uh, at some point, he usually overturns a stone that shouldn't be overturned and, uh, and the fit hits the Shan and then he needs to be rescued by the, <laughs> by the rest of the group. So it's kind of interesting, but it, it can cause some problems playing a, a character who's a spy uh, rather than a character who has, let's say, espionage skills. Yeah, so maybe talk if you want to talk a little bit about that, those, those problems you've encountered. Um, the, I, the way I see spies, I, don't, I think some of the, what you've been saying over the course of this month you know, or espionage is is about uh, state versus state, and it's about information and and secrets and and uh, and that sort of thing plays into it. Um, because as this character, I want to avoid confrontation. I don't want to get in a in a face to face fight with the enemy. I don't want to uh, you know if we're if we're dealing with ghosts, I don't want to be face to face with the ghost. Uh, I want to be collecting information, interviewing, you know, witnesses and trying to figure out what does the ghost want or, uh, you know, what does the possessing demon want or what does this, who made this curious mirror that's swallowing souls? I mean, you know, I want to, to get as much information as we can. Um, but people in the group have different drives. You know, we do have a guy who's really into it for the combat, another one who's really into it for the role play and, uh, so I found that I need to be kind of like a uh, a connector between them and uh, um, to focus on providing skills to back them up like a professional secondary character. You know, uh, we're going to we're going to sneak in. Great. I'll lend assistance dice to us sneaking in because that's that's my specialty or we're going to blackmail someone great i'm going to lend you know my intelligence and my my uh, insight to your roles in in order for us to make that that blackmail sharper and, and more poignant and you know that kind of stuff mm -hmm. so uh, uh a bridge between the different strengths that we have going around the different characters in the group but never a lead character uh, unless he's by himself 
So that's, that's the thing that I have to give up, you know, that, that, uh, kind of like in Shadowrun where you've got the, um, you've got the Decker and so many people play it that, you know, everyone go to the kitchen and have, have pizza while I handle the Decker's solo mission kind of thing. I never played it Shadowrun that way. We always kind of cut back and forth, turn to turn, but, uh, um, that's what I keep hearing. And, and that's the, uh, the situation of how do we send the spy out to do his spying um, when everybody else is very, very different as a character. And so, you know, it's uh, we've been handling it through flashbacks and, and flash forwards and uh, um, and uh, dice rolls on the side to uh, you know, and secret messages passed to me so I can just relate information. Oh, well, I found out that, you know, this person was, was actually in the building that night and they may have done it, you know, that kind of stuff. But uh, it takes a little bit of work. I, I can imagine. How about you? It's, well, you, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because it, it is a, a dichotomy. So the, most of the games I've played have been more action-oriented as far as RPGs, but that's something we've kind of touched on off and on this month as we've talked about espionage, particularly as the films go, because the games do tend to fall down to, you know, even if it's more of, are you doing top secret or, or 007, you don't want these games. And typically they do end up ending with some kind of confrontation, in, right. at least the games I've played in. But when we talk about the movies, so, so let's switch gears for a second. And yeah. we talk about the movies, there's definitely, when we talk about spies, the first thing everybody thinks is James Bond. But as yeah. Joe from the Decaheteran podcast brought up, you know, James Bond, you know, is a basically a, a a world cop chasing or, you know, a national level cop chasing terrorists. Right. It's yeah. Or, or maybe not even a cop, maybe maybe an out and out, you know, a covert operative mm -hmm. for assassination. He's not really out to right. bring right. Spectre to justice or whatever. He's out to he's got those the double O for a reason. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But he doesn't really seem like a spy, does he? No, no, not really. Well, and especially, and, and part of it's kind of the silliness of that franchise that everybody <laughs> knows who he, who he is. So, right. you, you know, he's never really undercover, you, you know, except he's the maybe, overt you know, operative instead of the covert <laughs> operative. <laughs> right. Yeah, definitely. But, but he is, is definitely what we think of when you think of spies. Typically, he's one of the first yeah. things that pops in your mind, pa partially because the, that franchise has run so long and there are so many films yeah. and, and it's such, so high profile. But compared to right. something like whether we talk about, you know, it, we, we can go all the way back to something like the 39 Steps, which is yeah, yeah. espionage related. Right. But it's not sure. our, our main character isn't a spy in that by any means. He's just an everyman caught up in it. Or, yeah. or if but if we get into Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Right. You, you watch that movie and I haven't watched the Alec Guinness miniseries yet. But when you watch the movie, I mean, really, you don't have any action in that movie. I mean, there's you know, a gunshot or two here or there. There's a lot of tension in the movie. Right. Yeah. And it does an excellent job at that. But yeah. but it's very, very different than, you know, James Bond or even a Mission Impossible movie, which, you know, is a little bit closer to espionage in, in right. some ways. Although although they same kind skill of, sets. Yeah, definitely. They they've kind of degenerated into the go after the big bad guy or the, the opposing organization kind of thing, right? But yeah. um but but they're there. Um, but but it's an interesting difference in there when we talk about espionage. But it, it's interesting. Joe had brought up Hogan's Heroes, and yeah, it's wartime, yeah. but but very much 
that that's what you have, right? Because they're going out doing covert missions, you know, right. and and he's no, right. No, that's that true. Would, yeah. It, no, go ahead. I didn't even cut you off. Um, no, it's totally true about about Hogan's here. Is I laugh. I was I listened to that uh, during my day today, um, and uh, and got a, a real chuckle of appreciation about that observation. You know, they they're basically choosing to stay in the the POW camp and and disrupt uh, behind enemy lines. So that's awesome. But it, it started me thinking about um, how we could classify spies for this conversation. You know, we've got intelligence agents like I was describing myself playing collectors of intelligence. And maybe not even analysts of that in, of that um, that intelligence. You know, they they go out and collect it, and someone else has to make sense of it, and then someone else has to make use of it. But then, in the Bond mold or in the the Mission Impossible mold, we often see them as reacting to some kind of threat, like you know, your mission should you choose to accept it, Ethan Hunt, or you know, Bond, you have to fly to to Russia and and do this, that, or the other thing. They are the counterintelligence agents and uh, kind of by definition require that ability toward toward action you know they they aren't spies in the classic sense of the word they're they're operatives or operators uh, mm-hmm. i think in the more modern modern pilot parlance but uh but that's what that made me think of is is uh is that yeah i I, I think it's interesting. So Shadowrun, you, you bring up Shadowrun, and that's a game that very much, it, not every session needs to be about espionage, but one of the core pieces of that game is corporate espionage. I, right. I mean, that's a, a you know building block of that game. And right. it, it's it, it's kind of been, ham- I mean, some people like the mechanics better than others, and, and, and I'm not going to. You know, you know, be negative about certain games, but but I know Shadowrun's suffered a little bit because mechanics have turned people off over the years. Um, right, but it, it is a fascinating world, and, and and very much falls into this conversation somewhere. You know, sure, it's it, it's it's interesting because espionage is so wide ranging. You know, you can go anywhere from you know comedy like Spies Like Us to <laughs> you, you, you know to a, like sneakers, right? Stripes, Even, yeah. yeah, stripes. Um, oh, I think sneakers maybe is a little more serious than stripes. <laughs> right, the, the characters yeah. are are having kind of like in character comedy. Mm-hmm. The movie itself is is deadly serious. Right, yeah, and that's but you know well and and you 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 know we talk about the way things are handled. You, you know, I I mentioned a couple times. Uh, che Webster pointed out Slow Horses to me on Apple TV, and I've been watching that, and that's based on a series of books. But the idea there is you have agents in MI5 that have screwed up. And so, but it's easier in modern day, but it's easier to to make them uncomfortable and miserable and have them quit than to process the paperwork to fire them. So they put them in this crappy office in, in you know, in a back alley somewhere and, and give them the most miserable assignments to make their life horrible so they'll quit. And it could be played right. like The Office, but the show is actually serious and it's played seriously. And there's a lot of comedy in there, and Gary Oldman's in there, and he's great. But it, you know, it's an interesting take. And, and Che has said, and I agree with him, that would make a great role playing game too. You, you know, I think so. You're all disgraced. And the great thing about that book series and show is that most of those agents truly are crap agents. They they really do belong there. They're they're not very good. You, you know, they've accidentally left classified materials on a bus, or they've <laughs> you, you know they've done screw ups. They've legitimate right. screw ups. And, and 
so, so you know, and that would be a, a lot of fun to play, not the James Bond character, not your perfect character that you build, but a right, but the struggling you know, character. Yeah, struggling character, right. When I heard that game, episode, right? Uh, I I immediately looked for slow horses, and I was hoping I could get it, you know, on Kindle or mm-hmm. or again, hopefully in Audible. But the the first few books are not available on Audible here unless I wanted to listen to them in German, and which I don't. And uh, and you know the 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 show is not available, but I'll I'll keep an eye out for it. But it, it struck me that uh, Delta Green. Mm-hmm. The modern Delta Green suits itself for for playing that kind of age, you know, using the bonds and and uh, um, the effects of stress. Like, why are they screwing up? Because you know, and you could play it, you know, without any mythos connection whatsoever, and still bring in these these elements. I thought that would be a that, that's a great that that's a great idea. Delta Green is you're right would be ideally suited for that. The the, the other game I think think of it's it's not. It's kind of espionage related, although it's more, you know, a basis, although it predates the X-Files, is the old TriTech game. Um, Mm. Well, it's Bureau 13, uh, Stalking the Night Fantastic. Sorry, I had to get my brain working there. But that game goes back, like say, it predates the X-Files and all that, but effectively you're doing Delta Green kind of stuff. You're, You're part of a secret government agency and you're investigating these occurrences and at one point in the history the agency gets compromised and then you're you, I, mean, I mean it's you, you yeah. I, I can't imagine the people that you know did Delta Green which is a, a great game didn't at one point you know come across that game but right it's no there and yeah. there's so many or go ahead there's a lot of things in that vein like mm-hmm. uh, I, I can remember the author's name but I'm blanking on the the name of the series it's it's Charles Strauss or Strauss oh, the laundry the laundry, right, right, okay. and the the game that went along mm-hmm. with it was yeah. was killer. You know, if if you've ever had one of those bureaucratic jobs where you've had to write memos, <laughs> I, I, actually, I forgot <laughs> about the laundry. Stitches. Yeah, the laundry is slow horse. I mean, it's Cthulhu mixed in there, right? But the laundry is slow horses because that game emphasized it, Cubicle Seven put it out for BRP, yeah. and it yeah, and that yeah, that emphasized that that miserable part of the office work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and. Uh, and the, the way that the the series shifts tonally as he has more and more experiences and is obviously losing his mind, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, but yeah, I get a kick out of that. Yeah. I haven't thought about that for year, maybe a decade. It's been a long time. That, 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 that is a definitely a recommended book series. Very interesting book series. Um, yeah. Modern spies against Cthulhu. Yeah. Hard to get the game now, I think, but uh, it's definitely worth picking up. It, it is. Yeah, it's, it's a shame. Well, and that's the problem with IP based games, you know, these licensed yeah. games as they, you know, once they go out of print, then or, or the, it switches to somebody else, which Strauss is an interesting case because he has always been an RPG guy. Yeah. It, you know, the author is one of those authors that's been involved in, in written modules and things. So, yeah. But, so, so, we, so recently we, we mentioned Che Webster and, or I mentioned him. And and he was on talking about Mission Impossible. And, right. and before we started, you had mentioned that you, you, you had another game system in mind, Broken Compass, that you thought would do Mission Impossible very well. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's a the, the, the Tom Cruise Mission Impossible franchise, for the most part, has a, I mean, they're over the top. But at the same time, it they look like life and death stakes are on the table. 
like one part of our mind, we, we know that the, the main characters are going to get through to the end, but maybe not all of them. You know, there's they, they set the stage early on with with Mission Impossible one by wiping out the whole team. <laughs> Spoilers for a 200 year old movie, but um, they uh, there is that that edge to it, like somebody might might buy it. And Broken Compass has a uh, a system which is is quick to teach. Characters can be made easily, so. Those of us who are in our age category, I think, often associate with that with a high chance of, of fatality. The easier it is to make your character, uh, the easier it is to replace your character. <laughs> um, but uh, it's built around the notion of identifying the, the feel or the atmosphere of an IP, you know, like like the mummy or like Indiana Jones or um, like. Um, unforgiven, you know, do a serious Western or do a, an over the top supernatural comedy action movie, or, you know, do a noir film or, or, you know, do the X-Files or do pirates or so when it comes to doing espionage, it's really easy to build a character with that very specific skill set, like we get from the, from the taken movies, you know, and uh, have characters that right out of the gate, when you you know you look at the character sheet or you think about your inspiration, they just seem to to fit together really well, and it has a certain approach to to character mortality and character action that fits without you having to talk about it, without you having to like negotiate for it, um, creates the effect of the movie star not dying in their own movie, kind of thing. Or at least not permanently. So you can have the Sherlock Holmes going off the, the Rickenback Falls and you know, Holmes died. I don't believe it. But but then in the next <laughs> in the next installment, he could come back. So there's, there's a variety of things built right into the system for that. And uh, and it's easy to get. It's new and it's it's available. It's out there. And, and uh, the original company was Two Little Mice. Uh, but now they're they're owned and distrib distributed by Kamon or C M O N. Yeah, who who are you know bet maybe best known for the, for their kickstarters and, and their and their big board games, right? Their miniature board games, yeah. things like yeah. Zombie Side and you know whatnot. Yeah, not a small company, right? Yeah, many multiple multi million dollar or multiple over a million dollar kickstarters. Yeah, right. So, yeah. So yeah, Broken Compass is uh, is definitely one to look for if you like doing your own IP, you know, your own conversions. Uh, if you're looking for like convention games, it's so quick to teach. Um, it's easily supportable uh, for online play because you're using D6s. Um, there is a small amount of meta currency. Um, and uh, so it it's easily fits into the, the standard you know, VTT kind of formula if, if, uh, if that's the way that you play, but it's also easy to track if you, if you don't, if you just play through a, a, a chat mechanism and, uh, yeah, it's just, it's really slick and, and, uh, light, flexible, fast. And, uh, so it's definitely something to, to check out if, uh, if that sounds even slightly appealing. I, I'll even put a link in the show notes for it. Awesome. That. 
Yeah. So, so it's, it's interesting over the years, we we've had a, a, a number of games that have been es, espionage specific. I'm not sure if when I was talking to Daniel on the top secret episode that, that came out last Sunday, the Sunday before this, you know, we kind of postulate and, and, and we think top secret in 1980 by Merle Rasmussen was the, probably the first espionage game on the market, but we might be wrong on that. I, I've done this. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't looked at the publication dates, but it's, it's early. I mean, it's out. Um, like you guys talked about call of Cthulhu. It, it predates mm-hmm. call of Cthulhu, um, which is not an espionage game, but, right. um, but is an investigation game. Uh, I don't know if it if it's out before mercenary spies and private eyes. I, yeah, I think it was. I which I've got. <laughs> I'd have to walk across the room to get my copy of that. But <laughs> but but it's definitely. I, I mean, that's the first one people think of back in the day. It's right? certainly uh, top secret. Yeah. Certainly the big one. You know, it's the yeah. it's the uh, the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. And I can remember when I got to play it first. Um, actually, this whole setup for for having this conversation today got me to remember something I'd completely forgotten. I got to play the original Top Secret. I don't know if it was first edition or second edition. I didn't know mm-hmm. that there was that distinction until you guys were talking about I, it. You and Daniel I, were talking I, about it. I didn't know that either, to be honest. I played back in the day, and I had second edition back in the day. I know that now. But I, right. I didn't realize that. And then we, um, when we got talking about that, we said, oh, yeah, that's right. Because originally my original box set was second edition. And then when I picked it back up and then ran it, for um eric Salsweedle, the you know a year maybe two years ago i had picked up first edition but i didn't realize <laughs> there was a difference you know you know because they're not marked right. you know it's just the publication right. but the hand, like you said the hand-to-hand combat's different but i didn't really remember the difference from had playing back in the 80s so you just knew it was different you know yeah let's <laughs> yeah. say so we had played the original top secret uh for at least one mission and then switched to SI, but I had mm-hmm. kind of folded that all into just playing just SI. But uh, it was really interesting as I was flipping through uh, the original Top Secret to say, oh, yeah, and I remember this picture, and I remember, <laughs> I remember this chart. <laughs> you know, and they're not, they're not in there. But, yeah, I can't, uh, I can't uh, emphasize enough. Like the, the Game Master held up J- James Bond 007 which mm-hmm. is the one he wanted to play because he was a huge Bond fan. And he held up Top Secret. And the entire group, 100% unanimously voted for Top Secret. And you just see his face kind of crumble and you know, this fake <laughs> smile on his face like, okay, we can have fun playing Top Secret. And it's like, if you don't want to, if you don't actually want to offer the choice, don't offer the choice. <laughs> right. Yeah, because cause it, yeah, but well, players always throw monkey wrenching things, don't they? Um, yeah, I, you, you know, I, I hadn't looked up the time, but you're right. Call of Cthulhu is 81, so Top Secret yeah. does predate it. Uh, Mercenary Spies privatized 83, so it is later. Um, right, but, maybe even in response to. Oh, no yeah. doubt. Yeah, I mean, a number of games, like James Bond, you know, Victory Games, James Bond 007, which, to be honest, is a pretty good game in its own right. It's an interesting game. It really game. is clever. Yeah, yeah it's got... Well, like we said in that other episode, you know, it's pretty much got a universal mechanic. Yeah, it, it's it's got you know one of the better early chase rules when you yes. think about it. It it had some very interesting modules. I don't know how many of the modules I read the modules more than played them, but you know back then. But it had some really interesting things to it, and, and I mean it benefits, of course, from the IP from James Bond. 
and sure. have access to that. But it, yeah, I, I, and and for modern audiences who don't want to go buy a bunch of old used games, it has <laughs> a modern retro clone out there, classified, right. which is pretty much that game with James. So that those great mecha, those great game mechanics with the James Bond license stripped, it, you know, all that stuff removed. There is a blog um, called Black Campbell. I don't know if you know mm. that blog. So, um, and he does a lot of support for James Bond. You know, gear, lots of lots of different gear, so you can modernize your James Bond if you're interested, and uh, and that sort of stuff. So, you know, everything from you know, helicopters and and sniper rifles to handguns and, and and that sort of stuff but a lot of a lot he loves that game and puts a lot of mm -hmm. uh, effort into it so it's uh it's a wordpress blog so blackcampbell.wordpress.com yeah yeah i've got it here I, i'll link it in the show notes interesting mm -hmm. yeah. but there's also a lot of gm advice you guys were you and daniel were talking about the not the lack of game master advice but the lack of a specific section in top secret any of the top secrets for for the game master even though there's a administrator book it it's not really teaching you about mm -hmm. anything like how to play a spy game you know kind of thing right but the the james bond book really did uh, focus mm -hmm. on you know how to do a solo mission and uh, how not to do a solo mission and uh um making your characters and and expectations and and that sort of stuff it was in, kind of interesting to go back and read it again this week and and see what was there in it was 83 you said uh james bond uh, um yeah. that might be right i i'm looking at mercenary spies private eyes was uh 80, 83 i'm checking right now but i it that it, it was right in in that time because they, they were all about the same time 80s oh no that's do, 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 let's see yeah, 83. Yeah, 83 to 87. So really in a, at a very short run, only a four-year run, James yeah. Bond did. But they put out a lot of stuff mm -hmm. in that time. They did. Um, I don't know why we chose Top Secret other than it was by TSR. And, you know, that was a brand of quality for our group. Mm -hmm. uh, so. Yeah. So Top Secret's... I. Like I said, we, Daniel and I talked about the original game, and, and we both really loved the original game, and we both kind of bounced off of SI. But it, and that's not fair to it. And I meant to revisit it this week, and it just work and life got in the way, so I didn't really get to do much other than page through quickly. But I didn't get to reread it. Right. I, but at the time, because I was used to the crunchier top secret, and by the time SI came out. I'm sure I was into, into Rollmaster and, and Palladium, and I, I forget what year SI came out. But you, you know, by by that point, I was into a little bit. And but SI does some really interesting things, and it's got some it's interesting cool. mechanics. Yeah, it's a it is a neat little game um, that probably deserves to be revisited, or not probably does deserve to be revisited in in a more serious light. So that was '87. Yeah, so I was definitely on to other yeah. things. Much later, so it was it was brand new. Uh, just before we we started we started playing it in eighty eight eighty nine, mm -hmm. and uh, and I'm I'm just going to hazard a guess that the reason why we switched from the original Top Secret to SI was just that it was new, and uh, and our game master wanted to run Bond anyway, um, 
but we we ran into that wall of well it's a james bond game so it's a solo game and it doesn't make sense to have a bunch mm-hmm. of double o agents running around to get i mean we talked ourselves out of playing it instead of talking ourselves into playing it and that's something i remember these days when i come up with my my weirder pitches for for different games is you know to to try and be clearer about what it is that i'm looking for or, or how i envision these these character groups coming together and is that appealing to you you know and if it's not then then let's let's revise the pitch until we find something that something that is appealing but uh um back in those days you know it, it wasn't something that was common in this particular game master was just like which one do you want to play and top secret seemed more like agents you know mm-hmm. secret agents working together than james bond did and uh, and that's the one we picked but yeah. uh, i i kind of regret it now uh, when i finally got my copy of of uh, james bond uh i really really liked them you know the mechanisms of play and they would have taught me some things years and years earlier that i you know i would have appreciated knowing yeah, I like I say the so to to pull back to SI for a second. The sure. I I was looking through some of the modules for SI two, and and I don't have. Yeah, I didn't write down. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't take notes. But but there's some interesting thing in the modules as well. There's a point, not a point crawl, but there's this one adventure where you're 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 like on a motorcycle and, you, and, and you're racing through this area. It's a very railroady adventure, but during it's, this it's section, near the Grand Canyon. Yeah, that, that, that's, yeah. It, you, you, you probably know what I'm talking about. And, yes, I, I have a famous story about this. Oh, well, good. I, I, yeah, I definitely want to hear my only point before I turn it over to you with that adventure. One of the neat things about that adventure is in the way it's built, and it's something the GM can learn so much about. Even if you weren't going to run it, you could learn so much. Is the way it's built isn't we have a dungeon map. But it's almost, it, it's just a, I, and, and you're smarter about this than I am, so you can describe what it is. But it, it's, it's almost like a point crawl thing where you're going to yeah. have X amount of encounters and you can roll and you get these different encounters, but, but it's kind of mapped out on the page as a, well, I'll turn it over to you. You can explain it because I'm. Well, my, my experience playing, I didn't get to read the adventure, oh, but my experience okay. playing it was uh, after the, the second or third session, I started to feel like. Uh, there must be a double agent in our group because no matter where we went, no matter what we did or why we did it, we kept running into our opposition. And uh, they were phenomenally skilled at at getting away. You know, we could we could capture a certain number of them, we could take down a certain number of them. But uh, yeah, for the that railroady feel, uh, this really set off my my alarm bells as a player but at the same time the set pieces were really entertaining so i thought about it more after we finished playing and uh, and i thought to myself well maybe you know we were just learning how to play spy games or or something along those lines like you know maybe the game master is better at doing you know D style fantasy or maybe he's better at doing star wars because uh, we were playing Star Wars by then too, um, but uh, part of it I think was this particular module 
And as the agents, right, you, we were issued rocket cycles. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there were some pretty fantastic chases, but it never, ever seemed safe to use the rocket cycle because there's a chance it could explode. And of course, we kept getting closer and closer to the Grand Canyon to the point where eventually, of course, someone is going to try and jump the Grand Canyon on the rocket cycle, <laughs> which was me, mm -hmm. actually. And uh, looking back on it, in hindsight, I'm pretty sure that my agent exploded going over the Grand Canyon. But that particular role is done in secret. And so I successfully jumped the Grand Canyon. And I, I kind of felt the fudging. Mm -hmm. And that, uh, that kind of affected my enjoyment of it afterward, you know, but in, in the moment, it was pretty cool. But uh, the, the game master is like, no, no, it's not the Grand Canyon. You didn't jump the Grand Canyon. You jumped a side canyon, a side canyon. So, no, I jumped the Grand Canyon. And it, it was very much I, you know, it was a very immersive experience uh, trying to get away from from these enemy agents. And uh, and uh, so after I successfully jumped the Grand Canyon, then finally we were able to round up the enemy organization. We'd gone through enough of the encounters and uh, to to finish off the mission and, and get the, the last bits of, of uh, information that we needed. But it was an interesting experience, both fun on a on a moment by moment basis and frustrating on you know when you considered what had to have happened in order for all of this to occur. Like what was the game master doing behind the screen? The only answer is fudging dice, railroading, you know, quantum ogre, the whole nine yards. And uh yeah. Which has nothing to do with top secret as a system, just how that that particular adventure was was written. Right. But, yeah. I, uh, I I wish I had grabbed it and had it in front of me. It's you know it was interesting, but so so effectively as a diagram with lines that go the different nodes. Yeah, I, you know, I believe and, it. Yeah, and and the idea was well, you have so many, you're going to have so many encounters, and they might be this or they might be that, but you know, so effectively, it's this part of the game is going to last this, you know an hour or this this part of the game lasts this long when you've hit that point then you know go on to the Switch. next one yeah. yeah but but actually that's advice. kind yeah. of an yeah right it's kind of an interesting way to build and especially if you're thinking about something like a convention game because yeah. you know with a convention you're working in a set time slot and you definitely depend you never know what kind of players you're going to have at a convention so right. it's hard to pace but if so it's always good to have an encounter or two or to be able to adjust your encounter, not to fudge the dice, but to, you, you know, you don't want to, Oh, well, this is too hard for him. So I'm gonna make it easy. Not, not that as much as why well, I want this encounter to last this long. Right. You've got four hours. So what are you going to use it doing? Yeah. Right. A, a lot of, a lot of adventures don't give you any idea how long the author expected that scene to last. If they even thought, you know, gave it any thought. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's interesting. Um, but this this kind of thing is is like when I start thinking about theory, I start talking about uh, when you play, you play for story as a product or story as a byproduct, 
right? And this is this is a prime example, right? I've got these different encounters, and I want to shape an experience within a time frame so people can walk out of it saying, I played a spy game, and I felt like a spy, and I did spy things in a spy way. Clearly, this experience is designed. You can't rely on on good luck to, to give you that experience, right? And, uh, you know, so the, the system will contribute a certain amount with, you know, how, how tough the characters are or how competent the characters are or, you know, what the character sheet kind of guides the players into thinking about who their character is, that kind of stuff. But to have... To have a four-hour bookended, you know, beginning, middle, end experience requires that, you know, the, the module that you're using be written that way to support support you so you can make better decisions in the moment of, you know, should I, should I let this play out a little longer? Should we trade more gunshots around the corner of this, of this street? Or, you know, should we cut it off here and, and move on to the next thing? So... Right. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting. Um, it's interesting design choice and interesting design challenge to to do these things. One Which things I think is. Really, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that one of the things that I really liked about SI was how easy it was to do combat, how fast combat was, mm-hmm. and uh, um, you know the 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 built in hit location was nice and. Um, the, the game master who I said wanted to do James Bond gave us a lot of crazy situations. You know, like I can remember looking over San Francisco Bay with the, and like, I can actually see this in my memory. It, it was such, uh, you know, such an exciting scene, uh, looking out over the, the Golden Gate Bridge as the villain gets away on a hang glider, right? And all I've got left is a pistol and I keep shooting and, you know, I'm likely to miss, but I keep hitting the guy in his left hand. Right, so bang, left hand, shoot again, bang, left hand, shoot again, bang, left hand. Of course, now he's got only one arm. And we have that discussion. Can you fly a hang glider with only one hand? And so he falls into San Francisco Bay. And did he live? And did he die? His body was never recovered. I mean, I just love that, you know, about this kind of action-oriented spy play. So you, you mentioned the automatic hit location. That's one of those things, like I say, I kind of, I don't know if I bounce off that particular particularly but that kind of simplification in, in the way that bursts and auto fire and that you know in the game you're so oh, add plus whatever to accuracy and plus whatever damage you, yep. you, you know to simplify it but you can recognize the the genius in that now and that hit location definitely falls in that because it, you, you roll percentile dice to hit yep. and then the tens digit it not the tens digit, the ones digit is where you hit so right. And the, and then the tens digit was what the tens digit was damage I think I, I forget yeah. That. yeah yeah so you know, what, you know how well you hit you know. right so you know very smart I mean it re- really is a- excellent way to do it yeah it fits right into my paradigm of I don't want to talk about what the what the system means in the moment right I want to be able mm-hmm. to look at the dice and then just know and I like the dice to be out in the open so you know whether as a player or as a game master and so people look and everybody who's been playing the game knows, you know, where you shot them and everyone just starts reacting without saying, okay, I got a seven. So that's, you know, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's not necessary. And it's right. just, so I like it. Yeah. I, I found a picture on the web. Here is what oh, yeah. you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is the, 
what I was talking about, that node-based adventure thing. That That's what yep. you're doing in the Grand Canyon. Right. And see, it says Grand Canyon. It does not say side canyon anywhere. Right. It's Grand Canyon. No, you jumped from the north to the south rim. That's right. <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> On my the, rocket cycle. And look, yeah. there it is right on the cover, Operation Starfire. Yes. Yeah. So, so that's the one to look for if you ever want to find that module. Um, yeah. So I don't want to make it sound like it was not a fun module because it was. Mm -hmm. It's just on a philosophical basis. Later, I recognized. I was able to recognize that I was being railroaded and herded and and dice had to have been fudged uh, to enable the character to do some of the things that were done. And so that stole my enjoyment of of that really exciting adventure from me later. So. And I think espionage games might, I, any game, you know, the DM may be encouraged to do this, but with a smaller group and espionage games don't have to be small groups, but often they're small groups, you know, one or two players. Right. I, I think that the, maybe the, the des, I don't know if the desire or the, the weight of doing that or whatever word you want to use, but, but I think there's a greater chance that the GM feels a greater you know, need maybe to do that than yeah, maybe. with a larger group. Cause, cause if you're playing, say a duet game one-on-one, you know, you're, you're halfway through the mission. Oh, you done. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a whole culture of play thing there. I mean, is that like, <laughs> oh, let's, let's try it again, you know, uh, right. or is it like this game sucks? <laughs> mm -hmm. and it's not as easy as when you're doing, um, you know, fighting fantasy or choose your own adventure and you can put your thumb you know, the last choice in the book is your, is your turn in those adventure books. You know, <laughs> you know, when you're actually playing with somebody, you know, it's in your face, right? Yeah. Uh, so speaking but, of that streamlined kind of nature, there is a game put out by Sam Joko Publishing. It was called Operators. I don't know if you saw that uh -uh. Kickstarter when it came around. But uh, he played around with Fate Dice for the for the mechanic just to have that simple neutral or plus or minus combination and it also uses a deck of maneuvers right and mm -hmm. so on the playing cards that you use and it, it, you can do it as a print and play game or you can you can buy the the cards and you can get all this print on demand at at a drive through you can see the maneuver in action like like a, a throw or you know a punch or a strike to a vital area and like you play them down right mm -hmm. and the whole game is built around the idea of sharing the visualizations you know like I, we haven't talked about this before but i find a, a lot of gamers don't particularly care if we're all imagining the same thing the same way just as long as the details line up like you right. moved mm -hmm. you know you move 12 feet or whatever but you know where you move that 12 what what color the sky is doesn't matter <laughs> But in this game, you're trying to imagine that movie, right? And uh, so the, the dice mechanic is very simple. You're using these playing cards. So anybody at the table, whether they're a martial artist or someone who's never even been in a schoolyard fight before, can assess what's happening and, and play a move down for a fight or a, a, a gunshot or, or whatever and uh, and have a sense of what that looks like. and and what it re requires from their character. And so it's called operators and the characters are operators who are, you know, hired to do or, or required to do uh, these desperate acts like, you know, kidnapping, uh, you know, foreign agents or 
or rogue diplomats and, and stuff like that and uh, and all the the trouble that comes their way so it's it's kind of an interesting interesting system it's not as as open to interpretation as broken compass like i find that that quote unquote modern gamers who are really into meta currency and and shaping the story and and that kind of stuff can approach a game like broken compass the same way that an old you know frosty grognard can approach broken compass and they can both play and have fun uh i think operators is kind of more toward the modern appreciation side of things but uh um, yeah interestingly enough i at some point i I went to drive through rpg i had purchased operators (laughs) in your sleep yeah well well, that's how that's the problem with pdfs right you, they're yeah. they're just you you, you know you, oh I'm, I'm that's interesting and you click on that and then you release in my case and then you end up it goes down the digital hole right so so folks watching us in a future system Sunday for a talk about operators yeah okay. yeah I have to justify it's the fifteen dollar purchase yeah it, it looks interesting um, so, so very cool um, you, you you talk about that the you, you know whether the picture we have in our mind and. Yeah. We were playing a cyberpunk game, Cyberpunk 2020, and Danny Norton of Bandit's Keep was one of the players in that game. And he doesn't do a lot of cyberpunk stuff. He's, he, he told me later, but we had, I had described how they, they had gotten in the shootout and, and, and killed their attackers. And it, it turned out the attackers had, the, you know, they had um, artificial eyes, uh, you know, eye mm-hmm. replacements, and, and they had cameras in their eyes. And, and so effectively, they found this out when you know the bad guy calls them on the phone. You know, he calls the office that they're standing in. You know, and, and lets them know I saw what you did and this and that. And, and and Daniel's like, well, I thought if they had cameras, we would see those. They'd be like external. He was thinking like aliens or maybe sure, yeah, or maybe like um Hellraiser three, Hell on Earth, where the where the camcorders on the side of the guy's head, right? Or the right. TV cameras on the side of the guy's head. But it, you know, in Cyberpunk, the way the way it's designed, actually, you w- you wouldn't really see. You wouldn't know, yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't know. But but that mental picture, because, we, you know, he wasn't used to Cyberpunk, that world, the Cyberpunk 2020 world, he, had, he was right. thinking, you know, there'd be some kind of camera, visible camera there. And, and that was a descriptor, that, that kind of thing can definitely play into a game and affect a game. If, right. You, you know, yeah. so that's, yeah, it's definitely interesting. Is Where in everyone... a fantasy game, you know, what color the dragon is or... Or that kind of it isn't that big of a deal, right? I mean, I get colors may be a bad example, but you, you know the way you picture an elf and the way I picture an elf probably isn't going to be that big of a difference. Not, right. not a game changer, but it in this scenario, affect anything, yeah, right. But it, but in this scenario, now this happened to be these guys got in a gunfight with them, so it wouldn't have mattered. But if they were just being tailed by these guys, and right. you, you know the idea of they're being videotaped, and you, you know it it would make a big difference, yeah. So. Yeah, that that idea of that shared visualization is, is definitely an interesting bit beyond the scope of today's podcast, but definitely something yeah, yeah. worth talking about in the future. Maybe that's a good uh, Cerebrovore episode. We'll get some folks. Yeah, on. I think so. We'll talk about that. Now, do you care what color the sky is? <laughs> right. So let's get, getting back to espionage. A couple other yeah. things we, we'd mentioned. I I have i've not played top secret new world order the, the right. latest in the top secret line have you been able to get that to the table or played it 
briefly, um, and we've done a lot of discussion. Uh, we have a, a number of top secret fans in the group. So we have some who like SI, we have some who like the original top secret, and we have some who don't have any problem with New World Order, but it seems like um, we do have strong preferences about system. And so getting long-term play of that out has been has been impossible. You know, it's like, if we're going to play, let's play, let's play top secret or let's play SI. And it's like, but, you know, a very, like, I want to play uh, New World Order. But uh, so that's, that's been difficult, uh, you know, but it's, uh, it's also a slick system. You know, this time, uh, you know, it gets away with initiative, right? You mm -hmm. don't have to t do an initiative phase and your stats really matter to how your character behaves in combat because you're using action points and it's a derived trait and uh, it's a, a step die system you know which which i kind of appreciate i like the whole idea um it's a, a little swingy but you mm -hmm. know if you're a savage worlds fan that doesn't nothing bother you i think i think that's part of the the charm and uh, and you know that it has a lot of support for who these characters are and what these characters are supposed to be doing. So, um, including rules for making your own stuff, which I thought was nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so I, I guess that's something we should talk about espionage wise. We talked about James Bond. Of course, part of that's the gadgets. Yeah. And, and the top secret line is always supported gadgets and yeah. 007 supported gadgets. And I, I know the laundry files, the laundry files, that was a full thing. But, um, yeah, laundry files. Yeah. Did, yeah. But that that had some rules in, in those books, if I remember. I, I might, I don't know if I just have physical books or I bought, I bought those at one point. So I, I may have PDFs of those somewhere. Um, I'll have to look because I, I know I bought them back when they were out because I was reading the series back then. Yeah, um, I have PDFs of things like God Game Black and, and stuff mm -hmm. like that, but I only have the, the core rules in, in hardcover. Yeah. And, uh, the, um, but, but I think that's also part of, which is interesting because that's definitely more along the, the action adventure side of things. You're, yes. you, you're commercialized or not commercial. I don't know what you want to call it. You're, you're cinematic spy, right? You're cinematic opposed. spy or your counterintelligence agent, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. But um, is that something in, in your games you guys played up the, the gadgets? When you're oh, doing SI. well, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, back when we were first playing Top Secret, um, one of the things that went along with Top Secret was, you know, you're, you had to play these flawed characters. Mm -hmm. And I remember the, the character that I created um, had the ego signature. Um, it wasn't called a flaw. It was called a... No, they were... Um... Starts with D, I think. Yeah, but but they had but, but yeah, top secret was advantages, disadvantages, or flaw, what, whatever they called them. They yeah. but it definitely did that. Um, so that that ego signature, you know, you had to leave some kind of trace of yourself behind. So that's why mm -hmm. the James Bond, everyone knows who James Bond is because he had to say his name, right? Or I'm I'm Stock James Stock. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. And uh, so a lot of super pistols. And mm -hmm. uh, super ammunition. I didn't go for the small things. You guys were talking about the the, the pen twenty two. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that the some of the people I were playing with liked miniaturizing everything, but mm -hmm. uh, but I wanted to have things like the the gyro jet 
ammunition. I wanted to blow people up when I shot them. And uh, so you'll know I was here. <laughs> right. kind of thing. Right. Yeah, advantages and disadvantages is what they're, they're called in that system. Yeah, so it was yeah. disadvantage, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and yeah, it's, which is a, you know, not an uncommon thing in, in games, you, you know. It was but, pretty uncommon then. Right. But, uh, yeah, nowadays it's a common thing. But, well, that's what I mean. That's where SI really deserves a, a, a revisiting. And again, it's, I, I don't know what the rights issues are with Top Secret, but it's a shame that none of these games are on the market because yeah. they're all very interesting. Uh, well, the new one is. You can you can go buy Top Secret New World Order on Drive Through RPG, folks. Right, but, but it's not sold under the same name. I mean, it's still Top Secret New World Order, but I think the right. company name had to change because of all the... Yeah, because of the mess. Yeah, because originally they were using TSR for the right. company name, and then they, yeah, yeah. which I, I don't particularly have a desire to go into the, down that rabbit hole. Skip. <laughs> this but, um, this yeah. part of the podcast has been classified. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the, yeah, and NSI doesn't, I'm actually looking here. It does thank Merle Rasmussen, it, you know, for creating Top Secret, the game that got everything started. But he wasn't involved in anything else with the game. So, right. so I don't think any part of it would revert to him. Um, yeah. So it's a, although you wonder if the name do, did, because obviously of Top Secret in a world order. Right. Yeah. But so you have to wonder why. Yeah, you know, what the deal with that? It, I, mean, I don't know. That that's a. It'd be interesting if somebody smarter than me or more connected than me did that research because it. I, I would love to know why the if it's the name that's the contention, then I could see why none of these things are out there. Right. You you know what I mean? But it it really is a shame because people are missing out in in not having access to these products. Right. Um, part of it could just simply be that they're all they're all. You know, officially and legally held by Wizards of the Coast, and Wizards of the Coast has never seen fit to to devote resources to producing them. Uh, Maybe, but I would think they would make more money reprinting these, or do you just put out PDF scans of these like they've done everything else? Because the only things they, they really haven't done that for this Gangbusters again, we have a rights issue, um, yeah. the name issue, and what? Well. The Marvel, there's obvious reasons why you can't yeah. do Marvel. It's obviously why they can't do Marvel, but I mean, Star Frontiers, there's no reason why that. Well, it, that is the PDF scans of that are out there. There are on Drive. Uh -huh. They do sell. Yeah. I'll have to take a look. Yeah. they. Yeah. You can buy Star Frontiers on Drive Through now. So that, that's why I say these are really it um, of, of their <laughs> their big games. Right. Um, and, and I can't imagine people would scoop up Top Secret. I mean, and especially since Wizards doesn't have an espionage game that they're selling. Right. You, you know. Um, exactly. So I don't know. So we've talked a lot about games, but before I let you go, and I don't want to, I know it's late where you're at. We're, you, you know, playing the all good. So worldwide broadcast here. Um, yeah. Bounce from Virginia to South Korea, but yeah. uh, there, you had mentioned a couple TV and movie properties. That we right. haven't that haven't been discussed to this month on this show, and right. I'd like to hit things like sandbaggers and burn notice. And All right, have you seen sandbaggers? I have not. I oh man, no, so, put it at the top you, of your list. Yeah, give me the pitch. Okay, so we've been talking a lot about action properties, you know, like uh, James Bond and and Mission Impossible. 
uh, Sandbaggers. I first got to see it in high school. Like my, I was walking by the the TV room, and my dad said, "Yo, come in, come in. You got you got to watch this show. It's on PBS. You know, the American mm-hmm. PBS we could get. Uh, I'm Canadian, so so I sat down and, and watched it. It was like the the third third episode of uh, of the first season. It had really cool music. It's set in the '70s, so the fashion is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And uh, even watching it in the '80s, the fashion was uncomfortable. And uh, you know, people are smoking and and uh, and that sort of stuff but it's it never says it's mi6 but you know it's mi6 mm-hmm. and the main character is played by uh ray roy roy marston mm-hmm. a famous british actor he has recently been promoted to be the head of the operations department in the unnamed mi6 right and his um his section chief so like same as M in mm-hmm. the Bond movies. It's called C in, in this series. Um, he's also new and he's a diplomatic uh, appointee. So he, he didn't come up through the ranks of espionage. You know, he has military service, but he's not an espionage agent. So there's a, there's a certain amount of distrust between them. And then there's a middle management figure uh, who is more of a political figure than than an agent so you got a real agent who's in a position of real power but he's also very ambitious and he keeps running into uh the barrier of these two political agents above him in the chain of command and he has three agents he's he's budgeted for three agents to cover the entire british operations you know in Mm -hmm. in the world and he has to get he shouldn't need to ask for permission to do anything but yet he's continually be you know his hands are continually being tied and so how they how they get around these limitations of of budget and time and they're being asked to do the impossible uh one minute and then asked to being asked to do nothing the next minute uh, it was just fascinating to watch and you can see the psychological toll play out over the three British series, right? So it's not very many episodes per season. No, there's right? so so I've been looking this up while you, you've been talking. Yeah. I, I've been listening, of course. But of course. There, there's <laughs> there's seven episodes in the first season, six in the second, and seven in the third. So there's total twenty episodes. Yeah. Um it is on for US listeners, it's on something called well, not something called, that sounds derogatory. It's on BritBox, which is like a minor streaming channel you can subscribe through through Amazon. Um, there are also DVD sets of these out there, although if, if you're in England or some, somewhere in, where you have a region-free DVD player, which I highly recommend you buy, you can get the full thing for $28 here in the U.S., but if you want a Region 1 version, it's going to cost you a lot more than that because you know yeah. they're sold out. There, is, there was at one time a region-free version, which was quite nice, but, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I have the, I have the Region 2 on DVD, right? So I have to have my my region-free player. But I, this is something that that draws me back to it every year. I sometimes watch it multiple times in one year, um, even though I've seen them over and over and over and over and over again. Um, really compelling. Not an action series. In fact, the the actors, when interviewed, said probably the weakest part of the show was when they tried to do action within the limited budget that they had with their production company. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, 
there's there's never a moment without tension. Like you you feel every scene. You, you, these people are believable as spies, and their relationship with the CIA and the, the kind of inter uh, international uh, political shenanigans they get up to between you know working with the CIA, working against the CIA, being manipulated by the CIA. You know, uh, it, it's really killer, and it's it's an actual spy series. You know, it's about um, all of the things that, a, uh, let's say, a real spy might have to experience. And, uh, and there's a lot of game systems that you could try and, and, and replicate this with. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would lean toward a D100 system, a BRP or, or something like that to, to bring it out and be able to, to bring out the nuances of, of special training and, and the psychological wear and tear of, of this kind of uh, it's kind of lifestyle, but uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. So that's sandbaggers. <laughs> Very but, cool. Uh, now, now burn notice I have seen, and, yes. and burn notice is much more of a, a kind of popcorn fun kind of thing. That that was Very on so. was on TNT here in the U.S. I think, but yep. it, it, burn notice USA is actually USA. You're right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It was USA. Thank you. <laughs> but no, burn notice I actually highly recommend. Yet you, you have a spy who is. You, you know, worked. I, I guess for the CIA. I don't remember. Did they ever specifically say? Um, um, yeah, he he was a contractor, so he okay. mostly worked with the CIA. But mm-hmm. he was a, a freelancer. Yeah, which and, goes into what uh, Daniel was talking about with his top secret game. But, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but, but he gets burned. He effectively, they're well, we can't we can't hire you anymore, at least not on the books. And, yeah. and so he ends up in Florida with with his with, with a female friend who's a ex IRA bomb maker, <laughs> and and. And then, of course, Sam Bruce Max. Campbell. Yeah, was with Bruce Campbell, and um, yeah. shenanigans ensue as he tries to clear his name. Yeah, and particularly in the first two seasons, uh, the voiceovers mm-hmm. uh, they they kind of really get you in the spirit of espionage because he he'll start almost every scene with "When you're a spy." Uh, and then he explains the the way that a spy would see something, and it's it's an education. It's really interesting. And uh, about yeah. uh, how you would approach things. Yeah, but I, I, I should say because I'm, I'm bad sometimes at calling people out. Jeffrey Donovan's the lead in that, so yes, to, to give him credit because he actually is really good in that. He's extraordinary in it. Yeah, yeah, he he, um, he really is. Um, martial artist and and accents and different characterizations and disguise and yeah, lots of mm-hmm. cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, Burn Nose highly recommend. Definitely more towards the action side. Or the heist Definitely. side, I guess. It, really, it's more more of a heist show to some degree, right? Um, if, well, if and, was... and it's also like in the Mission Impossible kind mm-hmm. of kind of milieu, <laughs> right? Yeah. Which, which you know, it's not espionage, but something like Leverage kind of falls. Yeah. It's adjacent. Leverage is kind of adjacent. I mean, Leverage is basically yeah. the A team. We're going to write wrongs, yeah. right? But yeah, um, but, but, it's, but the the episodes feel kind of the same. You know, mm-hmm. you've got you've got these specially trained people who are manipulating things, um, right? Not so much the flashbacks to how they avoided the problem in the first place. They're not super intelligent, but they're they are capable. And uh, and of course, any show with Bruce Campbell uh, deserves our love and attention. It, it does. The chin. He's no. Yeah. I, I Bruce Campbell's a great actor. I really enjoy Bruce Campbell, um, and, and he is great. The, the last thing, like I said, I do want to be 
a little conscious of your time, but I the last thing I do want to mention is something that hasn't been talked about again this month that deserves to be talked about, and that's Riley's Robert. Uh, well, we can talk about that, it, but I also want to touch on Robert Redford and his Robert Redford's movies. whole series. Yes, yeah. yes. So I, I I think that's important to pull out too because Robert Redford seen, is in, in some great espionage movies. He really has. Um, you've seen Three Days of the Condor. Yes. Did you read Six Days of the Condor? I have not. I no. I need to do that. That's one of the big laughs I, I have. You know, is like they when Hollywood gets a hold of it, they have to chop out three whole days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't have time for this. But uh, but it's kind of interesting to show the dichotomy. Like if you if you have if you look at Redford in Three Days of the Condor, mm-hmm. and then look at their approach to the spy game in Spy Game with Brad Pitt, mm-hmm. it's a completely different experience. Um, and it, it I, I kind of like thinking about that split because it's Redford in both, you know, he's kind of like the through line, right? Um, he's playing totally different characters in a different way, but, uh, you know, it's easy to, to think about it, but, uh, what did you think of three days of the condor as I, so, from an RPG perspective? Yeah. It's, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I, but I definitely think it's interesting. I, I mean, it, it kind of is. So it's, you know, it's seventies. Well, he's he's yeah. one of those characters that you were mentioning before. He's not mm-hmm. exactly a regular guy, but he's not a right. field agent either, mm-hmm. right? He was in the army yeah. because it's the seventies, so he had to have done his time uh, in Vietnam or elsewhere. Uh, I don't really remember the age of the character, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, so he's. I think he was in the. What's it called? The Signal Corps, something yes. like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, the Signal Corps. And, uh, you know, but he's a, he's an analyst, he's a CIA analyst and, um, he just by dumb luck is not killed with the rest of his, of his group of analysts, his pod of analysts for the CIA. Mm-hmm. And that's begins his, his whirlwind journey to not be killed. Right. Know? So he's, he definitely can think like a spy. He can think like a field agent, but he's not one. He doesn't have that kind of training mm-hmm. and, uh, but it very quickly, like in the middle, when we get to um, the female lead is Faye Dunaway. Yes, that's correct. Mm-hmm. Um, when we get to that, it's I found that uncomfortable pretty much every time I watched the film, like the the kind of whole Stockholm, like mm-hmm. no spoilers, but kind of Stockholm effect that goes on between them. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, really I mean, it's ugly kind of film. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, I mean, it's a 70s film and, and, and you've got some things that, that go along with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think the idea of the somebody forced in, I mean, obviously he was adjacent to intelligence work, but, you know, like you say, not trained spy. And, and I think that's interesting. A lot of games have tapped, if, if I remember, SI kind of tapped into that where you were, yeah. you, you know, kind of sucked into the agency is somebody normal in the the other game i had mentioned earlier the stalking the Lake fantastic bureau 13 is based on that idea where you get and kind of like delta green is to some degree too exactly where like delta green. you get yeah. you get sucked in you, you know yeah. after an encounter and yeah three days condor does that well spies like us kind of does that right <laughs> not exactly <laughs> but kind of um yeah but yeah and it, it's delta green that i would use to run something mm-hmm. like like i i've used three days of the condor as a pitch for mm. this kind of play like I, I want you to watch it's got nothing to do with what we're going to play 
Mm-hmm. Right. But watch what happens to the character over the course of the movie. And this is kind of the atmosphere that, uh, that we're going for. I've, I've used this for call of Cthulhu. You know, you're just a, you're a private investigator and you're a cop and, and you're a real estate agent and you're a lawyer. Right. But, you know, something's going to happen. And, uh, and this is kind of the mood that I'm looking for. Does that sound interesting? Yeah. Right. Well, when that also touches on our, our talk and, you know, last month I talked about noir films and oftentimes noir, your protagonist is, you know, not of, you know, they get sucked into something and, yeah, and have to deal with business. it. Yeah. yeah. And that, well, again, that's what you get with a lot of Hitchcock films. You know, we yes. mentioned the 39 steps earlier. I, I've yeah. got a episode l- later this month coming out where Spencer from uh, Keep Off the Borderland talks with me about 39 awesome. steps. Yeah. yeah. Look forward to it. Yeah. That movie Hitchcock's just, awesome. yeah, Hitchcock's great. Um, you do a whole month on Hitchcock. You do more than that, but you know, do a... good in the months that starts with H. Oh, wait. Yeah. That's a, <laughs> well, that, that was part of the problem with the, with this right i mean i could have done spy september but you know no december um, is awesome <laughs> yeah but but you mentioned three days condor so that's very different from a game like spy game or a movie like spy game which right. you could also so I, I don't you don't have to be a cynical say spy game or some of these other movies do where you have the controller back in the office and you have the operative out in the field but i think right. you could definitely do a very interesting rpg thing here with that idea and even yeah. do we kind of talked about this maybe in messages back and forth calls back and forth but with troop play you could do this right because you can yeah. have your office staff and your oper- operators out in the field yeah you could switch back and forth as the as the as the operation progresses and and struggles or doesn't struggle and you know as as you have to deal with stuff back in the office that would be a lot of a lot of fun especially if you know like the players don't know who they're going to play Mm-hmm. at night you know if, are we going to play both sides are we only going to play one like we're going to focus on one or you know yeah that stuff is is cool right and and you could definitely i think have and, and the cool thing about doing that is you can emphasize both sides of this espionage you know envelope right, right? because back in the office staff they're dealing with the politics and the backstabbing and and all that yeah. kind of thing but you're not shooting each other you, you know you're not going to shoot out in the in the men's room with us you you know but probably (laughs) probably but but you're dealing with with all you know tension stuff back there you know so you can definitely ramp up the tension and and the secrets and you you know and you can do things like stealing you have to steal the files or or do this or do that you're dealing with treason you're dealing with real morality Mm -hmm. in the office more so than in the field like in the field is kind of clear cut right well yeah it's cut and dry your lines yeah, you're kicking down doors and shooting bad guys in the face in the field. I mean, now, of course, you can muddle that, too, because when yeah, you yeah. grab that person, well, it's not who you really thought it was. Right. <laughs> and and, and, yeah. and so obviously you can create complicated decisions in the field, but that would make a really interesting game. I think so. And you could do the same with Riley Ace of Spies. Yes. Yeah, so let's talk about Riley Ace of Spies. You've seen this, right? I, a little bit. I've not seen. So that's the most common answer I get. I've seen a little of it. Yeah. You know. Um. So it's yeah, sadly, that's one of the problems. With, um, so there's a there's a 80s British show. I don't let's see. Yeah, it was released. Wikipedia. Yeah, it was yeah. released to I saw it through A&E. OK. Mm-hmm. Um, and it stars Sam Neill. Yes. Everybody loves yeah. Sam Neill. Great actor. Yeah. And he plays a very um, unsympathetic character. And 
as soon as I saw it, this is the first time I really understood what it took to be a spy. There was a movie recently. I can't remember any of the actors in it. I can see all their faces. I can't remember their names. It was called Breach, which is based on a true oh. story. I, I've not seen it. I, I, I know what you're talking about. I haven't seen it, though. And this is the same sort of thing. Like it, It's about who the person was. Right, so we see we see details of Riley's operations, and Riley is is really the first famous spy, right? The the, the most celebrated spy. So uh, a novel was written about his life by one of his um, co-conspirators or one you know one of his fellow mm -hmm. agents um, afterward, and that's how it became known. All the things that he did or almost did, you know, working against the Germans, uh, trying to keep the Russians in check. And uh, I think my favorite episode of the series is called uh, Dreadnoughts and Double Crosses. Mm -hmm. um, and like the, the topic doesn't sound very interesting. They're worried about being able to get oil shipments. You know, because, you know, the, the British still has a coal fired fleet. Right. And part of the, the British government wants to maintain the coal-fired fleet because it's good, honest British coal. You know, we should be we should have our miners mining and, and this sort of stuff. And plus, it's in the heart of the UK, and so it's easier to protect. Mm. But the German vessels are not coal-fired. They're you know they're burning oil and to you know diesel or whatever it is that they're that they're using. I can't remember. And they have different capabilities. And so we don't want the British Navy to be left behind, you know, with these, uh, with these different capabilities of these naval craft. And so Riley is trying to uh, get involved in, in, you know, the flow of oil, as it were. So as a, as a synopsis for an episode, that sounds <laughs> incredibly boring. <laughs> but it's a uh, it, the, the villainy he gets up to, the treachery that participates in, how his controllers control him is brutal and merciless. And, uh, you know, is he an agent? Is he a double agent? Is he a triple agent? I mean, you're asking yourself these questions all through the series. Mm -hmm. and, and Yeah, I didn't realize. The there's... He's also the ladies' man. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, there's only 12 episodes of this. They're, they're an hour each. Yeah, yeah there, there's no reason not to. I, I will actually add this right up there with sandbaggers to, yeah. to to catch up on. There's no reason not to watch this. Um, as a as a period piece, it's also really really good to watch. Like if you're at all interested in playing in in this time period, um, they did a really good job of of faking it. You know, making it mm -hmm. making it seem like that era. Right, and it looks like it covers between it covers the first 25 years of of the 20th century. It, yeah. The first episode starts in 1901, and then last episodes in 1925. So, very interesting. Um, so, very different from you know Mission Impossible. Very different mm -hmm. from from Burn Notice. Very different from James Bond. Um, more on the information collection, but also the disinformation side. You know, um, you know, and, and uh, manipulating what your opponent can know. And, uh, right, I, yeah. I, yeah. Now, now you've got me excited to try to put together. I mean, I'd, I'd rather play in it maybe than run it, but to put <laughs> together a a spy game kind of you you know where you have a troop style play, and, yes. and, and each each 
everybody has somebody, whether it's their own character or a character they can play, back in the office, you know, back in the, the glass tower. And then they also have an operator out in the field yeah. and then bounce around. I, I think that would be a really interesting game because it, it would let you do both. It would let you kind of do all aspects of espionage. Yeah, I would I would throw uh, throw into the ring. I'd throw Ubiquity in there. It's, mm-hmm. it's built with the idea of like a, a relationship between like a, a patron character, like the, the controller back at, at HQ right. and your your agent operative. And there are there are different ways that 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 relationship can manifest in game mechanics in play. And it's already built in the the notion that, you know, um, I play your contacts and and you play my contacts or you play my assistants and and allies. We switch back and forth and so that we can get a lot of interaction and role play, even if the the size of the group is really small. And uh, we've got a, a nice line to walk between survivability and lethality and, and you know, speed of play. So you can play it as, as play by post or you can play it, you know, easily through, through video conferencing. And the, the game is set up to include some really cool uh, traits and skills and uh, talents for the spy, the classic spy or the kind of ninja assassin kind of spy, whichever mm-hmm. side that you want to be on. Jason from the future here breaking in to say that Anthony didn't mention a specific flavor of ubiquity, but I got with him after the recording and he recommends Leagues of Adventure, the core version of Leagues of Adventure by Triple Ace Games. Triple Ace Games is currently running a sale, so if you hear this episode before the end of 2022, you can actually get a copy of Leagues of Adventure for a pretty deep discount. There'll be links in the show notes. Leagues of Adventure is built nominally around late Victorian age steampunk, but Anthony assures me you could easily adjust the dials to play a modern day serious espionage game without a problem. And and that would be his pick for the spy game kind of game where you're playing both controllers and operators in a troop style manner. I will now slip back into the future and return you to Anthony. If I wanted to really experience the life of Riley, or if mm-hmm. I wanted to really experience the life of, of a Neil Burnside of the Sandbaggers, I would go with Delta Green. Um, to be honest, uh, you know, it's all set up to to have you thinking about being a part of an organization of of not being completely happy with your your life circumstances, of having some some kind of focus that you think is really, really important, whether that's some kind of Cold War doctrine or, or whatever, and the toll that it takes as you, as you go through your, your missions, it's already set up to do that. And, uh, you know, with or without the mythos or the supernatural. So it'd be really sure. easy to do. Burn notice, I'd probably play with operators or, or broken compass, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, yeah. very cool. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. It's nice to have something to do on Christmas Day. Yeah, there we go. So, folks, if you have any questions, you can call in. All the ways to contact me are in the show notes. I have contact information for Anthony in the show notes. So we we both love to get feedback. So feel free to call in here. If you don't want to talk to me, you can call into his show. All right, I now have SpeakPipe. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Well, now that we've had the Anchor Apocalypse, we have to do something. So. Yes, I left a message for for Joe Richter of Hindsightless the other day, which uh, 
was incomprehensible when it got out the other end. So I guess even calling in to, to anchor no longer works. So, yeah, it, 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 it's really a shame because anchor was, is such a good idea. The idea of having a way for callers to interact with the shows and, and then Spotify doing, you know, what they feel is best for their business of kind of gummed up the works. Although it may be the result of counter espionage by some other podcaster. It could be. Yeah. Some other, we're, we're just caught in the middle. That's so. right. Just pawns on the global stage of podcasting. Definitely. Well, you, you take care. Thank you very much. You okay. I'll talk to you soon. Joke about your spouse, but the operator screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I could shoot him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. There is a dustbin in your moil's body tipper And I'm assuming that your partner back there in the woods chipper Don't look away Don't look away Don't look away Don't look away Well the zombies are rising and the world is gone to hell We're living for the dying and we're dying for the train wreck